What if you were forever defined by the worst things that you've done? What if those things that you most regret saying, what if those things that you most regret doing, what if those things for which when you think back on them still carry with it this sense of shame, what if it was those things that you would always be known for, that you would never be able to get rid of it? Can you imagine how unbearable it would be if the very worst of what you have done was constantly spoken of over and over again so that it could never be forgotten? Often our culture defines people in that way. It labels people by their worst. But here's the good news. God doesn't. God knows you better than anyone else in this world. But he does not define you by your worst and he never writes you off as a lost cause. And the reason for that is that God is incredibly good. It's part of the essence of who he is, his incredible goodness. There's a conversation that takes place between Moses and God in Exodus chapter 34. And Moses has requested that, that God would reveal to him his glory. And God replies that he will show Moses his goodness. And it says, And God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And so we should not be surprised that when God comes to us in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, that this is exactly what he looks like. Jesus is compassionate. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love and faithfulness. He maintains love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. When we look at the life of Jesus, he is declaring to us and showing us what God is like. And when we come to the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus Christ, we call on the Gospels because they are good news, because they announce the salvation and the forgiveness of God available to all who believe. Mark begins his account by saying the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. And Mark goes on to describe Jesus going out, that he goes out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus goes out saying the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As we read the Gospels, we understand that part of that good news is that we are not defined by what we are at our worst, but that God invites all into his kingdom of grace, that forgiveness and salvation are on offer. And what made it such good news is that the offer was extended to a whole range of people who in the prevailing wisdom of the day were usually seen as being excluded from God's kingdom and certainly excluded from God's love. We read in Mark chapter 2 that there were four men who carried to Jesus a paralyzed man. Now, being paralyzed would normally be regarded as a sign that God has rejected this man, that this man has been excluded from God's kingdom. But when Jesus sees this man's faith and the faith of his companions, he pronounces over this man's son, your sins are forgiven. And so that people would know that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, He also declares to the man, stand up and walk. In John chapter 8, we're told that a group of religious leaders bring a woman before Jesus and they don't bring her for healing, they bring her for condemnation. 
she is being caught in the act of adultery, the punishment under the law for her being death. For them, it was quite clear that she, being a sinner, was excluded from the kingdom of God. And in the conversation that ensues between Jesus and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, one by one, her accusers walk away. And when they had all gone, Jesus asks the somewhat obvious question to her, is there no one left to condemn you? And when she says no, Jesus replies to her, then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. It seems that Jesus had developed a reputation for bringing the good news of God's salvation and God's forgiveness to the least deserving of people. Luke even records an insult that is being said about Jesus. People are saying Jesus is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And immediately after saying this, as if to prove his point, Luke goes on to tell this story. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 7, and we'll start from verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So in the passage, Jesus is invited to a dinner by a Pharisee named Simon. Now, we're not sure why Simon invited Jesus to dinner, but we do know the context of it. There would be other men at this dinner. They would all be of good standing, holy men, righteous men, men of some standing. We also come to know from the start that Jesus has been treated rudely by Simon. There were social customs about how you would welcome a guest to your home in the same way that when somebody comes to our house, we will open the door, we will invite them in. There were times when we would give them a hug, a kiss or shake their hand. Uh, We would offer them a drink and somewhere to sit down. For Simon as host, he should have, but didn't, arrange for Jesus' feet to be washed. He should have, as host, welcomed Jesus with a kiss. And he should have, as host, anointed Jesus with oil. But he failed to do each of these things, which at best was careless, probably showing the disregard he had for Jesus, but at its worst, possibly a snubbing in front of Simon's peers. So Simon, Jesus and the other guests would have been reclining at a low table. Their feet would have been tucked behind them. And into the house comes a woman with a sinful past. Most likely the men would have regarded her as a prostitute. And this woman goes and stands behind Jesus and she weeps. She weeps so much that her tears wet Jesus' feet. And so she stoops down 
and she wipes his feet dry with her hair. She then begins kissing Jesus' feet and she anoints his feet with perfume. Now, in that context, probably most contexts, this would be strange, but for there it was socially inappropriate. Simon, we're not sure exactly what he was thinking. He would have been embarrassed by what was happening in his house. He would have been certainly shocked by what was happening in his house. And he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. Well, Jesus does know this woman. And he also knows what Simon is thinking. And so he tells Simon a short parable. He says, Simon, there was a moneylender who was owed money by two others. One person owed him, let's say, $150,000. The other owed them $15,000. Neither, though, had the capacity to repay the debt to the moneylender. So the moneylender, with great generosity, forgives the debt of both of them. Jesus says to Simon, Simon, who will love the moneylender more? And Simon says, well, I guess the one who had the greater debt cancelled. And Jesus says, you are correct. Then the passage does this beautiful thing. I love what happens next. Jesus turns away from Simon and he turns to the woman and he asks Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Well, of course Simon sees the woman. But what does Simon see? He sees a woman who is uninvited into his house. He sees a a sinner. He sees someone who is beyond God's love, somebody deserving of God's judgment and certainly someone who had no place in God's kingdom. Simon is disgusted by her presence in his house. He is offended by what he sees. But Jesus sees something completely different. And he rebukes Simon's rudeness. He says, I came into your house, but you gave me no water for my feet. But she, she has wiped my feet with her tears and her hair. Simon, I came into your house, but you didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, I came into your house and you did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, that her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. You see, what lies behind these women's tears and this kissing and this anointing? Jesus is certainly not shocked, nor is he embarrassed by her actions. At first glance, we may think it's guilt that is driving this woman's actions, that she's come to Jesus seeking his forgiveness. But the most obvious reading of this passage is that this is not the first time that Jesus has met this woman. Verse 47, which I just read out, carries with it a sense of the past tense. Therefore, I tell you, her sins that were many have been already forgiven. Her acts of devotion are because she knows her sins have already been forgiven. We're not told the details of any previous meeting, but it seems that when this woman met Jesus previously, instead of finding condemnation and rejection for being a sinful woman, she found grace and she found forgiveness. Her tears are tears of joy. They're tears of relief, tears of gratitude. 
and her anointing of Jesus' feet is an expression of gratitude to the man who has changed her life. Jesus says, says to her, your sins are forgiven. And at the conclusion of this chapter, he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And Jesus says these things not only for the woman's benefit, but for the benefit of those watching on at dinner. As for Simon, he missed the significance of what was taking place because Simon saw himself as a good man. Simon saw himself as a righteous man, a holy man, a man who was obedient to God's law. But because he saw himself in this way, it meant that he did not grasp grace. He did not understand the grace of God. In fact, if Jesus had said to Simon, Simon, your sins are forgiven, rather than being grateful for that, Simon would have been offended by that. How dare you presume to forgive my sins? How dare you declare me a sinner? And for us, it's important that we never stray into that sense of self-righteousness, that we never stray into a sense of thinking that we are the good people, that we are the people who deserve God's favour upon our lives. Jesus, yes, he went to Simon's place for dinner, but it was the woman who grasped the significance of what it means to be loved by God and to be accepted into God's family. She alone grasped the good news of the kingdom of God. At the birth of Jesus Christ, we're told that an angel came to shepherds and the angel declared, I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. And the woman alone was the one who grasped that good news. Perhaps the most well-known verse on that good news is from John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And again, this is what that woman alone experienced. It's what she knew to be true. This is still good news for us today. This is why we celebrate in a few weeks' time Christmas. We celebrate that we are not defined by our sin. We are not defined by our worst moments. We do not wear labels that remind us of our past. The good news is that Jesus Christ has come to us and he offers us forgiveness. He offers us a place in the kingdom. He says that whoever believes in him will find life, life eternal, and that whoever believes in him is not defined by their past, but by what Christ has done for them. At the end of this, what I would love for you to do is to go and stand in front of a mirror. And I want you to ask the same question that Jesus asked Simon. Jesus said, Simon, do you see this woman? For you, I want you to ask, do I see the person in front of me? Do I see the man in the mirror? Do I see the woman in the mirror? And what do I see? Do you see a man or do you see a woman who is no longer defined by what they were? Do you see someone instead who by faith in Jesus Christ has received forgiveness the gracious gift of God.
if when you look in the mirror you don't see that, then I really want you to know that God's offer of salvation is made to you as well. It is an offer to all. And I want to encourage you to accept that gift by faith. This promise of God is for all who believe. If you don't know what that means, speak to someone who does know Jesus, who knows what it means to believe in Christ. Or contact us and we would love to speak with you about what it means to know the promise of God in Jesus Christ. But for those of you who are standing in front of a mirror or will stand in front of a mirror who have by faith received Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, when you look in the mirror and ask that question, do you see the person before you? The Bible tells us what we should see. And there are four things I just want to quickly mention. Firstly, when we stand in front of the mirror, what we see is a new creation. The promise is that the old has gone, the past is gone, that what we look at is new, new life. Secondly, when we stand in front of the mirror, we see someone who is forgiven by God. Regardless of whether we feel that forgiveness, the fact is that when we place our faith in Christ, when we turn away from our past and turn to God, that our past is forgiven. The Apostle John writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The third thing that we will see when we stand in front of a mirror is someone who is loved by God, someone who has been chosen by God, someone who has been adopted by God into his family, someone who has been redeemed from the power of sin and the power of death. And lastly, When we stand in front of the mirror, we see someone who is not condemned by the past. The truth is, some of us will still bear scars from our past. But the past no longer has power over us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As we draw closer to Christmas, may we be brought into the joy that comes from knowing and experiencing the good news of Jesus Christ and the kingdom. And may we also be those who carry with us this joy-filled good news into every context that God has placed us. Into a culture that thrives on digging up and reminding us of people's past failures, may we be the ones who bring the good news of God's forgiveness. And may we be the ones who declare that even though the past does not change, that people can change and people do change when they encounter the saving grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we live in the reality of how Jesus sees us. Amen.